Hello and welcome to another MyTunes podcast right here at manxradio.com. Mark Tiley, the nation's station, Manx Radio. This week on MyTunes, I should probably declare what my specialist subject is going to be. Because I'm interviewing somebody, talking to somebody who's been on Mastermind, don't you know? But much more importantly, she is the latest Manx bard. Boxy Kloss, welcome to my tunes. Thank you very much. We will talk about Master Mike, because I saw you on there. Oh. We'll talk about that later. Okay. Let's talk about becoming the bard. The ninth, is it? That's right, yes. And stiff competition by all accounts. So I believe, yes. Yes, yes. I don't know exactly how many applicants there were this year, but apparently it was a lot more than in previous years. Well, it, it was it was a huge contest. I didn't realise until I started reading about the Manx Bard that there were bards before, but they had normally been people in history. Yes. So the, you're the ninth living Bard, so to speak. Sort of. The the first official Manx Bard was T. E. Brown. Right. And obviously that was awarded posthumously. Yeah. So there are eight of us who are hopefully still still alive and kicking. Let's talk about you and poetry and writing. Because when we were just chatting earlier, writing for well being, something um people may be aware of art therapy, but writing to to exercise your brain and your get your emotions out there it's a huge part of your life isn't oh, it oh absolutely and i'm not being dramatic when i say that it literally saved my life in the last 5 or 6 years i've gone through some quite dark times and struggled at times to find support and then a friend recommended I try a, a writing for well-being workshop with a lady called Janet Lees. And I thought, oh, I don't really know. and I can't be bothered and all the rest of it. But anyway, I went and it was amazing. And that's what got me writing again. So much so that it's had a huge positive effect on my life and I want to pay it forward now. I'm actually trained to be a facilitator for writing for well-being in my own right and one of the things I'm going to do in my time as Bard is set up some writing workshops around the island so that other people can benefit from the power of, of words and expression. Art therapy is good but I would argue that therapy using words is even better and there is actually scientific evidence to support this it's a year isn't it as the bar uh, yes but then you ca- carry on as being a manx bard for life that i didn't know mm-hmm. so it's like being mr president or mrs Pre- madam yes. president in america you, <laughs> but without the money well yes or without the big house you yes don't, you don't, they don't throw you in the big house uh, the security guards oh yeah we don't need those when did you start writing Well, obviously, I wrote bits and pieces when I was a child. And then when I got married and had a family and started work, especially when I started teaching, I had literally no time to think, never mind consider writing. And then in 2018, I became quite unwell. I had to give up my teaching job. Um, I was teaching at Wimbledon High School for Girls at the time. But I had to come home and was told, that's it, you've had a stroke, no more work, the end. And overnight I went from being a teacher, which I consider to be a respectable, Mm. well-known job, to being nothing. Because 
you talk to people and they say, what do you do? And I'm, well, I'm not doing anything at the time. And, and your life becomes meaningless almost. So I literally hit rock bottom because it felt like the, the metaphorical rug had been pulled from underneath me. And what was I going to do? I was relatively young in my 50s. And, you know, writing is the thing that made me realise, actually, I may have had a stroke and I may not be able to teach, but I can still write, I can still think, I can still help other people, and I'm jolly well going to do it. Good for you. We'll talk a lot more about the writing for well-being and being teacher here on the Isle of Man and some of your star pupils as well, which may feature later. But let's have our first piece of music. What's it going to be? It's called Killer Queen, and uh, it's it's very important to me as a child growing up. Uh, It's by Queen, obviously, and it was one of my nicknames when I was at school. Why? Well, (laughs) back in the day, most of my contemporaries of the female persuasion were either fans of the Osmonds or the Bay City Rollers. And they would go around wearing the glam makeup and the tartan trousers and all the rest of it. And I was dressed head to foot in black like Morticia Adams. So I was killer queen. I mean, at that time, the word goth hadn't been invented, but I think I would have been one if that had been the norm at the time. We will do our very best to find a photo. In the meantime, <laughs> here they are. She keeps them always in a pretty cabinet. Let them eat cake, she says, just like Marie Antoinette. A building a remedy for Chris Job and Kennedy. And it's an imitation you can't She's a killer queen, gunfight and gelatine, dynamite with a laser beam, guaranteed to blow your mind. Recommended at the price, insatiable and appetite. Wanna try? She never kept the same address In conversation She spoke just like a baroness Middle man from China With an integration fighter Then again incidentally She that way Perfume came naturally From Paris Because she couldn't care less Fastidious and precise She's a killer Queen Gunfire gelatine Dynamite with a laser beam Guaranteed to blow your mind Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. 
my MyTunes guest all this week is a bard, the Manx bard, the current Manx bard, who will be a Manx bard forever, as we established only yesterday. Boxy Kloss, thank you for coming on to MyTunes. Thank you for having me back. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit, before we go back into the world, the literary world, about Mastermind. I guess you apply, or does somebody suggest you do it, or how does it work? Well, from my point of view, I, I grew up watching Mastermind with my late mother, and we always used to have mini competitions between us, not so much with the specialist subjects, but with the general knowledge round to see who could get the most. And I think I managed to beat her once or twice, <laughs> but not very often. Anyway, it, it became a, a, an ambition to one day appear on the show, and not long after I'd had my stroke, I thought, you know, is is my brain still working, you know, or has it all turned to mush? I'd been watching the then current series, and at the end they said, if you're interested, have a look at the website. And I thought, oh, why not? And it will give my brain a workout. And I never really thought, a bit like with the bard, I didn't think I'd get chosen. But there's an application form that you fill in, and there's also, um, I forget the number, but there are um, timed questions online. So you can't cheat and use Google and stuff like that. And then if you get through that round, there are auditions. Some are on Zoom and some are face to face. And then if you are selected, you go away to filming and they film about a dozen shows in one day. Really? They do, yes. Wow. It's like a conveyor belt process. And my show was first. Oh, no. So yes. you had no time to settle. Not really. And also, the hotel where I'd stayed the night before had a power cut until about half past ten. And I was down in the lobby, and my room was on the tenth floor. Oh, no. And all my notes were up there, so I couldn't do any revision. And we had to be in studio for half past seven in the morning. Oh. <laughs> well, it it was it must be one of those situations where you've got a head full of things and then you go in there. Does it sort of go blank a bit when you're in that chair? Oh, yes, yeah. absolutely. And the thing that got me, there was no studio audience and they've, they've got done away with that since COVID. But they've got the stage in the centre with the chair. Yes. And then you have the four chairs to the side where the contestants sit. And then the opposite side, you've got the other chair for the quiz master, whoever it is at the time. Well, they settle you down and they do similar to what we've done here with, with sound checks and yeah. all the rest of it, lighting and one thing and another. And then when they say go, they actually play the music. <gasps> And the lights go down, and I've, I'm, I'm doing yes, it now. I'm going goose pimply. <laughs> wow! And that brings it, like, and you think, oh my goodness, this is real, yeah. you know. And of course, I was last to be quizzed, so I'd seen the others, and I'm thinking, oh, I don't want to get zero. And to be honest, I had no anticipation of getting past the first round. I just wanted to not make a total idiot of myself, and by getting zero. And I didn't come last. <laughs> and I got most of my specialist subject questions correct. 
The one that threw me was a question about one of my least favourite artists, um, a lady by the name of Madonna. Oh. Not my cup of tea no. at all. And I could remember this. Could I remember the name of it? I, I thought I, I remember seeing this on the TV and thinking it was pants. What was it called? <laughs> And then he told me the answer, and I thought, Whoa. And you knew it, yeah, of course you knew it. Yeah, of course I knew it, but um, I, I still don't like Madonna. If she came in here, she'd probably sort of try and make it up to you somehow. I would hope so. I would think so. <laughs> today's musical choice, one of the all-time greats. We've had Freddie Mercury and Queen. Who have we got today? We've got a bit of Bowie. Oh, We've got wonderful. that stance. Wonderful. Any particular reason? Well, my teenage years and going to nightclubs. Sometimes, perhaps, when I was still underage, but those are the things you do when you're a teenage lass. And it's just a happy tune, you know, and it reminds me of all the happy times we had as as youngsters. So let's have a bop. Dance the 
My MyTunes guest this week, Mastermind, tackled that, didn't come last. Thank nope. you. And uh, sp- the specialist questions, very nice. We'll forget about Madonna. We touched on that yesterday. But we mentioned teaching earlier on in the week. Now, I'm going to talk about teaching because you taught here. Now, you didn't uh, come to the Isle of Man until, is it 1989? Yes. And you came as a teacher? That's right, yes. Yep. So where, where were you teaching? Um, before I moved to the island, I was teaching at Anglesey. Oh. Yes, and I taught the children from And that's how you say it. <laughs> so let me get this right. You are Welsh, but you weren't born in Wales. By um, ancestry and parentage, um, I ended up being born in England by accident. Ah, so yes. by accident in Wimbledon. That's right. But nothing to do with a tennis no, upset. never so been how did you end tennis. up being born in Wimbledon? <laughs> My late mother was also a teacher. And at one stage, she taught people how to teach in Nigeria. And she fell pregnant with me and wanted me to be born in Wales. So she arranged to fly home at about 34 weeks pregnancy. Anyway, it was a bit of a bumpy flight and she went into labour and uh, luckily the aircraft landed at London Airport and whizzed her off to a a maternity home in Wimbledon and that's where I arrived, but I was very premature. Okay, I bet. Yes, you would have been. I've made up for it since. Okay, but when you got to the Isle of Man and uh, started teaching, um, secondary, wasn't it? Secondary at Castle Russian. Yeah. And we'll talk about one of your pupils a little later in the week because we're going to play something by him. I think you'll probably know uh, what that might, that young man might be. What were you teaching? Chemistry, mainly. Ah. Mm, so other sciences. where did you train? I trained at Bangor University. I did my first degree in biochemistry in Welsh. And then I did my postgraduate certificate in education, specialising in chemistry and other sciences. But over the years, uh, and I taught for over three decades, I also taught primary. And even in secondary, I taught English and a bit of music and a bit of PE and whatever they turn your hand to. The only thing I haven't taught are things like modern foreign languages, because English is hard enough to learn without (laughs) things like French and German. Quite right. (laughs) Did you know from school that was where you were going to go? Oh, no. No, no. Um, My mother, she got double first at Oxford in maths and physics and was then told to go away and have family and and not to worry about getting a job because ladies didn't do that, which was a big frustration. So when I came along, I was what they would call hothoused. And she, I'm not going to say encouraged, because she pushed me mm. you know, towards maths and physics, you know, and she had me doing things like calculus when I was eight years of age and stuff like that. And then in my teens, I decided, hang on a minute, I'm not living your life for you. I want to do my own thing. But I hadn't really had the chance to even think about what I might want to do. So, to be honest, I actually left school at 16 and and initially worked in the local council offices and then I went into retail management. And I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do until my mid-twenties, I suppose. And then I discovered biochemistry. And that's partly down to Isaac Asimov, 
who was one of my heroes as I was growing up. And initially I was reading his science fiction stories and then I discovered he was a scientist in mm -hmm. his own right yeah. and a biochemist. So if Isaac Asimov could be a writer and a biochemist, so could I. <laughs> Perfect. Let us take some wondrous stories from a band called Yes. What has made you choose this? Well, part of the reason I moved here, there was a girl at school with me called Susie James. And... She became Rick Wakeman's PA. And then when Rick Wakeman and his family relocated to the Isle of Man, she gave up the role and another lady took over. And I got to know her and quite often we'd say, come and visit us on the Isle of Man. And then I saw this job advertised and thought, oh, I could go and work on the Isle of Man. And here I am. <laughs> Perfect. Wondrous stories, yes. Silence me, leaving no trace. I beg to leave to 
far this week on MyTunes, we've had some wondrous stories. Uh, we've got to know the killer queen, dressed in black. And we've had a little dance around with David Bowie. My guest is Boxy Kloss, the Manx Bard number nine. Number nine. It's got a ring to it, but uh, as you said right at the beginning, you don't, you never lose the title. That's right. <laughs> Once you've got it, you've got it. We need to talk about getting into the bard ship. I, I probably said that all wrong. Mananin's Revenge. That's right. This was a piece that you had uh, written. Yes. And that you obviously read with yes. gusto. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, tell us about it. Well, um, I'm actually doing some research at the moment as part of my master's degree, and it's based on the research done by the later Eric Krugin, who was at the Manx Museum, very well known and highly respected. Uh, when he sadly passed away, he left absolutely reams and reams of research notes about folklore and history and the traditions of the Isle of Man. And what I want to do is take those raw notes and make them into a more user-friendly um, book. Um, so it's, it's in the process of being researched and written at the moment. But what it's encouraged me to do is to look at the traditional Manx tales and creatures like the Bagan and the Mothidu and, and, and try and make my own stories with those characters. So you have almost modern fairy tales. But also I'm looking at the actual history of man and the same time as the Krajean papers were presented to the Manx Museum, there was a book brought out by a gentleman called Andrew MacDonald and it's about the Lords of Man and the Kings of the Isles and, and, and all all that history leading up to Godred Croven and what happened next, Russian Abbey, everything like that. And it, it turns out that after the Battle of Sky Hill, Godred Croven, who, whose men had come with him following Stamford Bridge, um, they in effect conquered the island and he said to his men right lads you know what we're we going to do we're we going to stay here we're going to do a bit of raiding and then go home or what do you want to do and his men said well we quite like it here but not up in the north if we're going to stay we'd rather have the south so that's where they settled which is why um Castle Russian is in Castletown and not in Ramsey where it should have been. Um, <laughs> so the the people who were already living in the south got displaced, a sort of a mini ethnic cleansing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the Manx were moved up north. The the uh, Godred Crovens crew settled in the south, and I thought, well, I'm sure I can make something of this. And at the same time, I'd, I was a big fan, before I became disabled, of the game that's played traditionally on St Stephen's Day, which is the game of Camog yes. at St John's. And I thought, well, I wonder if I can weave these strands together and come up with the true story of how Camog came to be. Now, if you look at the other Celtic nations, you have Shinty and you have Hurling and you have Camag, and there's obviously a similar background to all of those. But I just think my version is nice. <laughs> <Fantastic>. <laughs> the Ballad of Camag, Mananin's Revenge. And, dear listener, if you'd like to listen to the full podcast 
of this My Tunes with Boxy. You can hear her reading that uh, very shortly when it appears at manxradio.com. For today, though, we're going to end up with a concert that you took your daughter to and she wasn't very keen and ended up loving it. Tell us all. (laughs) Well, a few years ago now, it was coming up to my daughter's 13th birthday. And I thought, well, she's a bit old to have a birthday party and there weren't any decent cinemas. So I said to her, what do you want to do for your birthday? And she says, well, actually, Mum, can we go to a pop concert? You know, not a local band. I mean, they're okay, but I want to go to a real pop concert with a big star. And she started dropping hints that a band called Take That were going to be performing in Manchester. And I thought, no way am I going to see them. She may like them, but I don't. So I thought, well, I'll take her to see some real music. So I had a look in the um, music papers that you could get in those days, long before internet. And lo and behold, about a week before her birthday, a certain band were playing at Earl's Court. And I didn't realise it, but the night that we went, and we had tickets on the balcony right at the very front, it was filmed and it was later released as the album and DVD called Pulse. And it's, in case anybody hasn't guessed, it's Pink Floyd. (laughs) And I know where to look to see myself and my daughter on the DVD. Perfect. And she says, oh, I don't want to go see Pink Floyd. They're they're granny music and and dad dancing and stuff like that. Anyway, there we were. And by the end of the gig, she was a converted Pink Floyd fan. And still is. Job well done. Folks, it's been a wonderful week, as I said. Uh, There's more coming in the podcast. Five past 12, it'll be released to you. But for now, thank you for this great week. Thank you for having me. And we'll have this, another brick in the wall. We don't need no education. We don't need no thought control.
Well, thank you for getting the podcast. I thought you might. Did we tempt you? Did Boxy and I just tempt you to come back for more? Because that was the intention. Uh, lovely track. Uh, last track on the Thursday then was another brick in the wall, Pink Floyd. Thank you. But, Boxy, I want to talk about Castle Russian School. And um, one young man that you taught... Oh, yes. <laughs> Davy Knowles. That's right. And I can remember him coming in as a young 11-year-old. And what I always like to do with my students is to find out a little bit about their background and get to know them as people rather than just bums on seats, if you'll excuse the phrase. Yeah. So I'm going around the, the whole class and I'm saying, well, what's your name and who are your parents and what do they do and what do you want to be when you grow up? And, of course, I get to Davy. He wants to be a rock star. And I'm thinking, oh, if only I had a pound for everybody who wants to be a footballer or a pop star or whatever. And I'm thinking, very good, but don't forget to do your homework just in case. Well, the rest, as they say, is yeah. history. And he's a lovely young man. His his wife, I'm sure you know, has recently have had their third child. Yes, number three. Yes, so um, it's a shame that they're so far away in America and can't visit as often as, yeah. as we on the Alaman would like. Yeah. But I still regularly listen to his music. I've just got a copy of his new album. Yeah. Uh, which is called If I Should Wander. It's quite different, isn't it? It is. It's well, very personal, I think. It is, yes. I mean, I've. It, it's no secret I've had issues with my mental health over the last few years. And certainly with COVID, you know, lots more people, you know, it, it's become more prominent. Um, and you hear it mentioned in the media. It's not the taboo subject it used to be. And I suspect that, that, you know, our friends in the States, it was exactly the same for them to be cooped up and wonder what on earth was going on. In fact, I'm wearing a T-shirt today Ooh, yes. dates from COVID. Love it. Partly because it's um, the Sight Matters Wear Bright for Sight Day for today, so I thought, you know, this yeah. is nice and bright. I like his music. You know, I don't just buy it because he's a former student. If I did that, I'd be buying all sorts of stuff. But as I say, he's a very talented. He's a genuine guy. The whole family are lovely. And I absolutely adore the music and especially the new album. Did he do his homework, though, as well? Yes. Some of the time. Most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, before we play a bit of David, tell me about Sight Matters because you've been working with them. Well, yes. I mean, um, one of the contributory things to to making me not being able to work on top of having, I've had now had four strokes, but um, about four years ago, over a three-month period, I developed cataracts. And I went from being able to see reasonably well to the stage where you know I was virtually blind you know I could see fuzzy outlines but I couldn't I wouldn't have been able to see your face and you're less than a couple of meters away from me and it was devastating and I thought well I can't read I can't you know I could I could write things down but I couldn't read what I'd written and Sight Matters, who are the, the local charity for people who are visually impaired to whatever degree, mm. they have been such a support. Um, I mean, they helped source computer equipment that 
that was specially adapted to cope with sight loss. They've taken me out on, on outings and they have social events and they just do so much to support people with sight loss that you know I couldn't have managed and certainly wouldn't have been writing poetry if it wasn't for their support. Have you been operated on now? I've now had both of them, both done. them done. Yes, yeah. just before TT, yeah. which is amazing because I now have 2020 vision. And Fantastic. the difference, it's it's almost as if somebody'd put a neck curtain or greaseproof paper across your glasses so everything is cloudy and you can make out vague shapes but you can't see any detail. And then if somebody just rips that away and the colours just pop out. Beautiful. I've started painting again. Oh. And I'm not very good but, you know, I dabble um, and I go to the Stroke Club art group. Yep. Um, and I, I play with my watercolours and now I can actually see what I'm painting and, and it's so vibrant and I'm so very, very grateful. Now this is this is very early for cataracts. Oh, I mean, yes. a lot of people in older age get them and they do get them treated. I mean, in my eyes, I know I've been told by the optician, they are coming. Mm. I will have cataracts. They're not there yet, but they can, they can tell that they're, they're yep. coming along with old age. But for you, at your relatively young age, that well, was, what, how do they get triggered? Apparently, people can get them in their teens. And there's wow. different types of cataract. There's the cataract that's associated with, with maturity, shall we say. Thank you. Very kind. <laughs> or in my case, immaturity. And um, the younger people, they can have what they call fast or rapid onset cataracts where they go from nothing to quite severe in a relatively short wow. space of time. And that's what I had. Yeah. Well... Thank you, and thank you for again for a fabulous week. We will take your lovely pupil, who did his homework most of the time, and <laughs> Davy Knowles, what track are we going to have? Well, it's a track that um, particularly resonates with me from the time I was working off-island. Um, I've spent six years teaching in East Africa, but I wasn't willing to give up my home on the Isle of Man. Okay, I've been here since 1989, but it's now home. And I think I qualify as a stopover now. Yes. But um, the, the, the track is called Island Bound. And Davy wrote it in similar situation. For him, it was returning to the island from America. For me, it's returning home from East Africa. And we haven't even touched East Africa. You're going to have to come back and tell us all about that because that'll be a, that'll be something on its own. That would be a week on its exactly. own. Exactly. Yes. Thank you so much, Boxy Class. It's been wonderful, and I've enjoyed it just as much. Thank you very much. Such a long time, long time I know Living in a foreign city, calling it my home This is not where I was born, where my heart will lie I belong to another shore, under different sky I'm I'm I love
tears I cried when lessons were learned. First love don't last forever. How I loved her. I To Ireland and up to Stragford Lock. I was just a boy back then and didn't know my love. Bound from Davy Knowles, former pupil of Boaksy Kloss, my MyTunes guest this week. But to finish this podcast, let's go back to how she became the Manx Bard. This was a piece that she wrote and read at her audition, I suppose you'd call it. We'll finish off the podcast with Mananan's Revenge. Back in the time of sea kings, Godred Croven ruled this isle. His men preferred the southern lands and settled there a while. The Celtic Manx were shifted to the northern hills and plains, and so began the rivalry, which to this day remains. To settle disagreements, a Norse Tinwald soon was called, but squabbles still got violent. Poor King Ori was appalled, and so, to stop the fighting, 
keep it under his control, an annual sporting contest would be held with stick and ball. The North would play against the South St Stephen's Day each year, on neutral territory, Tinwald's Field to be quite clear. Quite soon, this game called Camog became the true Manx fellas' quest. Celts against the Norsemen, sure the Celts would be the best. Manannan helped the Northern Manx as much as he was able, but Thor turned up to help the South and soon he turned the tables. Back and forth the action flowed, the competition fierce. Sticks and balls are flying, opposition's goal to pierce. Generations passed. You cannot tell who's Norse or Celt. Migration, integration made it really how you felt in choosing sides. In fact, these days it doesn't really matter who or where you're from because the players simply batter the ball into the nearest goal and that will be a score, a cheer from old man Allen and a groan or two from Thor. Whilst sitting on the Tinwald Hill, invisible to mortals, the other gods take bets on who this year will win the laurels. But Menanen has a secret, known to just a chosen few. I know I'm not supposed to say, but now I'm telling you. Thor may have his hammer, but Menanen's got a cloak, which even in the drizzle has capacity to soak. Should Northern Manx be overcome and the Southies win the game, Manannan makes his feelings known by sending loads of rain. But no, not in the winter time to spoil the Yuletide snow. He waits until the summer. Then he drowns the southern show. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>